I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome in to the History Tells World podcast. Tom Hackett alongside Steve Bartle. And oh my goodness, it's here. Oh my goodness, football is here. It's back. The University of Utah football program is uh, in the midst of fall camp 2021 edition. Uh, camp Kyle is what it's now known as or has been over the last couple of years. So we've got a, we've got a cool show. We're going to talk all things football and everything that's happening up there on the hill. The media's been allowed to go to one Media availability so far, that was Wednesday of this week. The second one will be this evening, assuming um, that the, 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 the smoke uh, kind of doesn't, doesn't get in the way of that. Uh, but as of now, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, we are going up to Utah football to speak to more players. So we'll talk all things full camp, really, this episode, and, uh, and it should be fun. It's, of course, sponsored by our beloved friend at Nateway Subaru. Uh, you can order a new Subaru at Nateway Subaru by August 10th. Okay, August 10th, which is in, what's that? Uh, about four days' time. So you've got about four days to order yourself a new Subaru at Nateway, and you will receive $500 towards the purchase of a genuine Subaru parts, accessories, or service. Love is worth waiting for at Nateway Subaru. So they got some deals. They also, I spoke to them not that long ago, guys, and... Um, and they need, they, they want and need all of the used cars they can get. So if you're currently driving a Subaru, you need to get in contact with them. They will give you a cracking deal uh, and they can get you into a newer model uh, for, for as much as you're paying now and at times cheaper, believe it or not. So if you drive a Nate Wade Subaru, an older version, and you're interested in maybe getting yourself into a newer model, reach out to Nate Wade Subaru and see what they can do for you. They are looking to get into uh, more used cars and purchasing them from you. Steve's with utezone.com. Uh, check me out on Twitter at sbottle247. And while you're at it, click open a new tab and head on over to carcelsports.com. That's where you'll find my work, my colleagues' work. You can check me out on Twitter at Tom Can't Hack It. Steve, I was unable to attend Wednesday's session. I plan on going this evening, but I think I stayed in the loop for the most part, and we'll get things kicked off with the news that Max Tupai will no longer be with the Utah football team, or at least for this year. They haven't haven't announced details as to why, but I think it's pretty clear as to why a few years ago there was speculation that he was not going to be around, uh, and he ended up making it back for that season uh, a year or two ago, whenever it was, or the days and years are all mixing together for me at the minute, but um, is it fair to assume, and this is just me assuming, so please correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, and then his love for football has always been tested 
Um, and as it stands now, you just it just seems like you just didn't have the passion needed to fulfill uh, the time that's required to, to play college football at Utah. Is that, is that, is that where we're at or, or is it unknown? What do you know? Yeah. So with Maxis, I think that's always been the, uh, even going back to like his high school career, right? Like he was a, a four-star talent, had interest from Oklahoma, UCLA, USC. He was, he was a big time prospect. And even then, you know, he was, um, people always kind of wondered like how, how truly invested was he in the game of, of football um, with, with this, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's, it's as much that I do think that it plays a part into why um, he, he won't be playing this season. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's, it's the, it's the cause if that makes sense. So I think, I, and and I don't I don't have all the details, but I, I just there's um, there's uh, there's there's something to it. And I think Kyle Whittingham even kind of kind of alluded to it and just said that you know we we haven't announced it just yet. We're still working out how to properly address it. Um, and so I, I think we're all just gonna. It's important for us to just kind of let the program figure out how they want to address it first and foremost. But, you know, with Max's talented guy, reliable player that, you know, did what he needed to do on the field. Um, he's, he's going to be missed. Is it a big time changer in terms of the outlook for this season? No, it, it's not. Um, but, you know, it's, it's something that, you you would certainly like to have Maxis on the team than not. He's he's that kind of player. And with the time that he's now spent in the program, that leadership, that experience, that's valuable, especially for, you know, the young guys in Van Fillinger, Xavier Carlton, Mickey Sugaturanga as as well. Um, you know, that's that's experience that they can learn from and they can rely on and lean on as they you know, they're in the early parts of their development and their career. Um, and so it's it's going to be interesting. This puts, you know, some added pressure on those guys, on Van, on Xavier, and and on Mickey to, to step up and to emerge as guys that can be counted on uh, every weekend. And so I think there's a level of excitement for that because these were, were some pretty impressive talents. Um, but... But again, circling back to to Maxis here, um, you know it's it's tough. I I, I think uh, I think he wanted to play this season, and and unfortunately, you know we just we just you know we won't know until the program addresses it. So uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely be interesting to kind of monitor this. But again, this doesn't necessarily change the outlook of the season too drastically at all. Yeah. No, I, I, I think most Utah fans have a pretty good understanding that it's certainly a loss, right? But it's 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 a loss that gives opportunity to to younger players in you know, Van Fillinger and Xavier Carlton in particular. And and what we often see, Steve, I think this is worth noting, is what we often see when when younger players are given an opportunity like this, um, it, it may take them a minute to to kind of grasp the, the concept and understanding. Um, and, 
and you know it, it it'll be interesting to see how they handle it but right but i do believe that that, that that those players are talented enough to really get a good understanding of the defense and 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 explode onto the scene and if they can do that then they're not only setting the utah football program up for success they're setting themselves up for for success and um and it'll be it'll be it'll be fun to watch that all unfold. I'm sure. And, yeah. And what's important, I think, noting with all of this too, Steve, is the non-conference schedule. As much as we bash on it, um, it it's actually a really good time for players of um, Mac, uh, sorry, of Van and and um, uh, Xavier, Xavier and Mickey. And yeah. Mickey. It's a really good time for them to kind of like let their hair down and let loose right. and play against players that maybe aren't up to the same caliber of yeah. uh, a player as the Pac-12. And so, so come Pac-12 season, those guys could be really uh, thriving and full of confidence right. and, and really unleashed. So Weber State, BYU, and uh, and obviously San Diego State, they'll be big pivotal games for not necessarily the team, but certain individuals. And I thought we saw that last year, to be honest, with uh, Ty, Ty Jordan, uh, Nate Ritchie, you know, as the season sure. progressed, those guys got really, really good at, or, or, or a lot better as the season progressed. And so hopefully we can see something like that this year with with, with those young guys at, at the defensive right. end position. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, as you're, as you're making those points, I'm, I'm nodding my head vigorously in, in agreement. Um, you know, I, it's, it's always fun when you look at the schedule and you just kind of look at it from just a general standpoint. And, yeah, like – Weber State and, you know, and BYU and San Diego State aren't, um, aren't, you know, great, uh, you know, contests in terms of like, oh, that's, that's exciting. But then you talk about it from, you know, an individual player standpoint, you know, and, and you bringing up Van and Xavier and, and Mickey and how beneficial, you know, the schedule is for them where they can kind of work their way into things and kind of hit their stride, you know, start, start with, you know, baby steps and gradually just keep building that momentum. It really works out well for them. And, you know, with Maxis, um, you know, I think for the most part, we, we knew what to expect from him, you know, as a player, uh, a lot of tread on those tires for him. You know, he's played a lot of football in, in that Utah uniform and, and, and again, with that comes experience and know-how. Um, but you, you also, you kind of hit your, your ceiling with him. You kind of hit the end of the road with him. And, and with Van and Xavier, I think, I think you're, you're, you have a higher ceiling potentially. And so, you know, these first few games of the season will be a great opportunity for them to, um, like you said, kind of get going, kind of get their feet under them, kind of build their confidence, learn from mistakes you know, playing through those mistakes, you know, and then they'll get Washington state, which is, you know, again, um, a fair step up, you know, from their out of conference slate in terms of, you know, going from Weber state to BYU to San Diego state, then Washington state, they've, they've got a particularly good offensive line. And so for van and for Xavier, that's a good, step up before they hit the road, you know, for USC and then ASU. So, um, yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of reason to be optimistic and and excited for those guys, for those young defensive ends, especially with how that schedule sets up for them. I think, um, to kind of put a bow on this particular conversation, if we, if we've learned anything about Utah football over the decade, 
or the nine years or however long it's been now since they've, I think it's actually 10 years. Today's the, this year's the, the, yep. the, the decade anniversary since Utah joined the Pac-12. Um, never, 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 never underestimate the defense and, and, and the players yeah. that they have. And there have been years over the decade where, you know, the fan base and, and media members, uh, yourself and I, Steve, uh, and others have, have questioned, like, is this, is this the year that maybe the defense kind of takes a hit and, and isn't as formidable as it, as it has been. Right. Um, and we get to, we, we get to see that they've been really, really good. Some years better than others, obviously, but boy, even when they're not as good as they, they can or have shown in the past, they're still really, really good and one of the more formidable defenses in the Pac-12. So I don't, I don't, I don't foresee, like yourself, uh, the loss of of, of Max's Tupai being being uh, too impactful. But I mean, you know, it all depends on how the young guys respond, and hopefully that right. conference slate can can kind of build them in the right direction. Um, and then, of course, Wednesday was was a day we, the media was able to speak to both quarterbacks. Um, based on kind of what I was reading and, and listening to, we didn't get a ton out of the quarterbacks. You know, it was, it was pretty much yeah. what you would expect. Uh, <laughs> unless I, I, I missed something, Steve, and you would add, but it just felt like good competition. It's a quarterback battle, yeah. which is what we were expecting. I guess the big question here is, uh, do, do, do you have any idea when maybe the coaches are going to make their decision? Now, they're not going to announce it. They, they never will. Right. Um, right. And we won't know until September second when they when they trot on out against Weber State. But but do you do you have any idea? Do you want to make, take a guess? Yeah. At when no, they, I, they think they'll I, they'll know who their quarterback is. I uh, it, this has been such a fun topic for the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, and it was something that that both you know Britton Covey he talked about it at Pac-12 Media Days last week. Kyle Whittingham has talked about it, kind of alluded to it. Uh, where, you know, they want to have a decision made earlier in camp than, than later. And, and, and I think that that will be an internal decision, right? Because we know, you know, we've talked about it. I think we talked about it on one of the, our more recent shows of just like, just name your starter, right? Like, but again, we, we know how this program operates and they, how they, they like that gamesmanship, right? And, and I think that that's something that we'll still see this year. But internally, I, I do think that they'll make a decision much sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I, I think makes makes plenty of sense. Like we talked about in, in our previous show, like if you know who you're, you're going to ride with, um, you know, let's, let's get to it. Let's ride and, and, uh, and let's, uh, let's make it happen. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think wit, and the offensive staff, I think they've got a pretty good idea of kind of what they're looking at, especially, you know, if they're planning, if they're talking about the potential to make a, an earlier decision, um, they, they're coming into this thing with a pretty good idea of, of who that's going to be. Yeah. And, and I think all signs still suggest that Charlie Brew is going to be the yeah. guy. But I think if we – and you and I were pretty pretty good about this last year – a lot of people out there thought Jake Bentley was going to be the guy. Right. Um, and we didn't commit to Jake Bentley being the guy on this show. And we just said, like, Cam Rising's making making some yep. noise. And he looks really, really good. Um, and lo and behold, he won the job. Uh, and and I don't want to go ahead and say Jake Bentley's going to be the guy, even though we've really hinted at it over the last couple of weeks. Um, what last year taught us is that Cam Rising can play. Uh, yep. And when he's healthy, he's a pretty formidable quarterback. Um, and so I, I, I still believe, and I, 
I don't want to speak for both of us, Steve, because you may you may differ on this, but I still believe Charlie Brewer is going to be the guy. It's just you never know with what to expect from Cam because uh, because his potential is high, uh, and if he finds form in camp and really strings together some good practices, you, you never know at the end of the day right. if it's if it's going to be Cam. Um, I do think, and this is what I'll say: I do think, and I say this with all due respect to Jake Bentley, but I do believe Charlie Brewer is much better quarterback than oh, yeah. Bentley was. And so for Cam oh, yeah. to get over the, the hump here and, and beat out Charlie, it's going to take, it's going to take something pretty big for, uh, for him to do that. But as it stands now, it's a quarterback battle. And, and for me anyway, based on what I've been hearing and who I've been speaking to it, it sounds like Charlie has the, um, has the spot right now, but again, that's going to, it's going to unfold. And the other thing worth noting here, Steve, for all of the guys and, and girls listening to this podcast is, Four camps are progression. So, uh, like, they're limited in what they can do early in camp. And so they're not allowed to wear pads um, right. for, like, the first week or something. And then right. you're allowed to put pads on. You can start bashing and hitting. Um, and, and what we often see is, you know, when the pads when the pads come on, there are players that, that kind of t- take their game to a new level and, and elevate. Uh, and they feel, they feel far more confident with pads and the ability to hit, to make contact with teammates. And so it's very, very difficult for a coaching staff to get a really good grasp as uh, as to where their players currently stand without pads on. So right. um, uh, they want to make a decision soon, and and that makes sense. But at the same time, they're probably not going to make a decision for at least at least ten days to to two weeks because they they've, they've got to see some pads and they've got to see some players hit and and some contact be made on the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Uh, to really get a good grasp of, of where, not just the quarterbacks, but every, where everybody sits, right? Right, yeah. No, absolutely. I think uh, a key checkpoint, you know, in fall camp, they're going to scrimmage um, on Saturday. Uh, not tomorrow, Saturday, but but the next Saturday. And I think that's kind of where you'll start to see this thing um, kind of – the the position battles gain some clarity, right? So like the quarterback position, running back position, um, some of the backup positions, um, you know, at linebacker or, or cornerback, like that scrimmage uh, I think is, is that first checkpoint real, you know, kind of a, an important day for, uh, for these position battles. And so, yeah, just to your point, like not a lot to go on right now, but as these guys get in the pads, I think it's what, like day five, is like their first day that they can put on the shoulder pads. And then, it, and then like the next day is, is like full pads and that. So um, yeah, they've, they've got to get the pads on, want to hit, want to get into, you know, as close to live action as they can. And so that first scrimmage next Saturday is going to be a, a big day for this team. Steve, let's do this. Um, and, and we'll make this quick so that we don't drag, but like, let, we'll start with the tight end group, for example, tight end group, I think Almost set in stone. Uh, Brant Keithy is going to be the starter at tight end. There will probably be a battle for the backup role, but Utah under Andy Ludwig loves to run two tight end sets, and so we'll see a lot of two tight end uh, sets throughout the course of the season. And I think Cole Fotheringham probably has the advantage over Dalton Kincaid, but I've heard nothing but really positive things about Dalton Kincaid over le- uh, as of late, and so maybe Dalton can and kind of nudge his way in front of Cole Fotheringham. That, that's really the only position battle going on at the tight end group is that backup role. And even then, I think we'll see a ton of Brant Keithy, a ton of Cole Fotheringham, a ton of, uh, a ton of 
Dalton Kincaid, right? No, absolutely. I think, you know, you will see, I think it's, <laughs> I mentioned this on it. We had a, 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 a a VIP chat at Ute Zone this morning, and I mentioned it's going to be really hard not to keep two uh, of of Keithy, Fotheringham, and Kincaid on the field, at least yeah. two, right? Like, I don't think we'll see a lot of three tight end sets, but I do think that we'll see at least two of those guys on the field the majority of the time. And the nice thing about those three is they all kind of complement one another, right? Keithy is the the dynamic athlete who can, you know, he can play in the slot. He can play out wide. Cole Fotheringham is your traditional inline tight end. That's, you know, super effective, you know, blocking. That's a, an important role for this team. And, and, and then you've got Kincaid, who's kind of a nice mixture of the two. He's athletic enough to be the, the pass catcher, um, and that's really where he's kind of generated some buzz is as a pass, pass catcher. But he's also a better, uh, I would say, a better blocker. He's bigger, a little bit bigger than Brent. And so he can complement Keithy in that in that way as well. So I do think that we'll see um, the tight ends. I think we'll see those three guys um, demand or, or the, the majority of those reps. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by Thomas Yasmin. Again, dynamic athlete. Uh, is is this the year that we see him break through and maybe make um, get some snaps and make some you know make some plays? You know we'll see. Uh, but yeah, those those three that we talked about are, are going to going to be the dudes at tight end. And then the same can be said for the most part at the wide receiver position. Um, and I guess we could even go into the offensive line. That seems pretty set. But the wide receivers you're looking at, and they'll all fight for starting reps and, and right. whatnot. But Britton Covey, Jalen Dixon, Solomon Enos, Theo Howard are kind of the four uh, big players in the game. And then, uh, and then you've got Money Parks, who, uh, who, who is supposedly a really talented player. Um, and uh, Devon Vele has made, yeah. has made a lot of heads turn uh, within the program as well. Tyrone Young-Smith, T-Boney, he's been around forever and a day. Hopefully, if he can stay healthy, he may see some playing time as well. Um, but they've got a pretty good group of guys that they'll be able to rotate through there. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, the, the, the Cubbies, the Dixons, the Theo Howards, the Solomon Enuses of the world, they'll probably be, you know, you're starting four um, or, or, or if they go with three starters, you know, they'll, they'll figure out right. three of those four and then, and then the crop behind them, but they'll still get a ton of reps. Uh, offensive line is, is pretty set too. Wouldn't you say Steve? Yeah, no, I think so. I think, it, you know, you start from the inside and you work your way out. Like, we know who's going to be at center. That's Nick Ford. We know who's going to be at right guard. That's Sato Alaumea. And then from there, you know, you've got Braden Daniels, Keaton Bills battling it out for left guard. Uh, you've got Bam Oleseni, who's kind of flipped that switch. Um, and, uh, you know, it was the more we've talked to people, the more um, optimistic we are that he's going to be the starter at left tackle. And so you've got him there. And then, you know, right tackle, you've got Cindy Moala uh, and, and Jaron Kump, who started there last year. Uh, and so, you know, we'll see what happens there. But for the most part, I think that's kind of your top seven. Um, along the offensive line, you've got Bam, uh, Braden Daniels, Keaton Bills, Nick Ford, Sato Alamea, Cindy Moala, and, and, uh, and uh, Jaron Kump. I think that's kind of your, your top seven. Uh, behind those guys, it's going to be interesting to see who steps up as as uh, you know the eight, nine, ten guys. There's a lot of young players, a lot of young potential, 
um, and who kind of secures their spot as the eight, nine, 10 guys uh, will be, will be a lot of fun. But I think for the most part, Utah feels really good. And, and Whittingham has talked about, they feel really good. in in the fact that they've got 10 guys that, that they feel can play. Um, and so I just think that there's a little bit of separation between those seven guys and the rest. So, uh, but that's pretty well set um, at, at offensive line, defensive line, kind of the same thing. Uh, we talked about the young guys at defensive end, but um, you know you've got Miki, Miki, Mika Tafua, you've got Vinny Mualaf, Wati Pututau, uh, you've got Devin Kafusi and Tennessee Pututau that'll figure into that thing. So defensive line is pretty set as well. Running back, so obviously outside of the quarterbacks, we touched on them earlier, but but running back, you know, there's pretty pretty healthy competition going on there. Yeah. Obviously, one one running back plays for the most part at at. at uh, for any given snap, but you've got Micah Bernard, who's returning after a pretty solid year. A year ago, Chris Curry, the LSU transfer, TJ Pledger uh, coming out of uh, Oklahoma. And then uh, am I correct in saying Tavion Thomas is, is yep. kind of also a guy that, that they're really, really high on and, um, and could well see some snaps as well this year? Yeah, no, he uh, – so – First day of media, somebody asked, like, how'd your running backs look? And and what's the first name that Whittingham, you know, mentions? It's Tavion Thomas. And, you know, this is a guy not a lot of people are aware of still. And I think, um, you know, outside of the, the diehards that love recruiting, that follow it every minute, uh, <laughs> they know who he is. Uh, but for, you know, the majority of this fan base, they're not too familiar. They, they kind of follow along um, with TJ Pledger and Chris Curry. They have a good idea, but. Tavion Thomas is a dude that comes from the junior college ranks, uh, was formerly um, a Cincinnati Bearcat running back, uh, but was previously committed to, to Oklahoma during his recruitment in 2018. Like, this is a talented dude. Um, and so Kyle Whittingham mentions him first, mentions he's six foot three, 240 pounds. <laughs> so he's almost the size of a defensive end. Wow. Uh, and yeah, and, and so uh there's uh there's uh there's some optimism with him obviously he's he just joined the program over the summer so he's a little bit behind in terms of kind of learning things um and so you know he's working you know i think the other guys have kind of a a, a leg up on him in that regard uh, but this kid is talented and he's going to figure into the mix and and i think whittingham mentioned him first um uh, for a reason um I didn't mention him at, at Pac-12 Media Days, uh, but you know I, I think you've got four really good backs. Like this stable is is just absurd. It's it's an embarrassment of riches. The importance of having a deep backfield is integral, in my opinion. Um, yeah, the days of a three-down back are kind of wiltering away, just with the physicality of the game, the speed of the game. And everything that it, that, it, that it requires of, of players, specifically at the running back position. I know we touched on it, Steve, but I'll, I'll reiterate the points. You know, the days of, you know, it's great to have a Zach Moss, a Joe Williams, a, a, a Devin Booker. You know, it's 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 really really helpful when you have those sort of players. But on the flip side, you can be just as productive with with a bunch of guys yeah. uh, where you can rotate. And and you know, if Michael Bernard's in there, one one series and uh, and takes most of the reps in one series, but then you, you have TJ Pledger, Tavian Thomas or, or, or Curry that can kind of fill that void on the next series. I mean, you're, you're constantly giving guys reps when they're, when they're, when they're healthy and, and, and fresh. And, and, and I mean, as the, as the games tick on by, 
that becomes invaluable because you just right. wear defenses down. And um, and as we've seen from Carl Whittingham in Utah, they love to run the football. Uh, but what what they've also done is they've run their run their key tailbacks into the ground. Just about every single key tailback. If you go back to the players I mentioned in Zach Moss, Devin Booker, Joe Williams, John White. I mean, the list can go back forever. It seems. Yeah, towards the end of the season, those guys picked up some injuries, and and that's where sta- uh, cracks started to appear for Utah football. So if they can keep most of their players in the backfield healthy, I truly believe that they will set themselves up for potentially a Pac-12 championship run. And, yeah. and the health of the running back group is going to play a big, big role in that. That's just my opinion. We'll see no. how it pans out. Um, linebacker. So linebacker is interesting, Steve, because you can put Devin Lloyd in there as a lock. He's he's going to start. I mean, there's no competition with Devin Lloyd. He's a monster potential first-round pick in a year's time. But but who else is there? I mean, Nephi Sewell and the production he provided last year was – was insane. He was really, yeah. really good. He flew around from sideline to sideline, made a bunch of plays. So you have to imagine that he's going to get some playing time this year. But he's 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 nowhere near a lock as Devin Lloyd is. They've got some guys, Steve, that that, that you're about to tell us about that that could offer something at the linebacker position. Yeah, I think so. I think Nephi Sewell is interesting just because he's you know he's a former safety turned linebacker. Um, but I do think that that Nephi Sewell is, is, is as close to a lock as you can be if, if he's not one. I do think he's that kind of player, and I do gotcha. think Utah kind of looks at him like that. But like you said, there's a lot of talent that, that has joined the program. And, you know, to start, it, it starts with, with two brothers, Ethan and, and Josh Calvert. Um, Ethan is the, the highly regarded recruit that Utah landed last year. Uh, they beat out Washington, UCLA, USC. The kid held offers from, man, Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan. Like he had the who's who's of, of college football, um, ask, you know, talking to him, recruiting him. And, and, you know, he's coming to Utah. So you've got him and, and Ethan Calvert. And then you add his brother, the transfer from Washington. You know, these are two guys similar in, in terms of you know, how they play the game. But I do think that there's enough, enough of a difference between them where I think, you know, Ethan Calvert is more of an athlete, more of that Nephi Sewell type, just that natural playmaker, where I, I kind of look at Josh Calvert as kind of more of a Devin Lloyd, more of a, you know, see ball, get ball, be productive in that sense. Maybe not the, the instinctual playmaking coverage type of a linebacker that, that Nephi is, but he's going to be a dog you know, coming downhill. And, and I, I, I think that's, um, that's kind of who I look at, you know, those starting with those two in terms of who's going to be, who has the, the, the inside track at, at potentially earning those backup spots. And then you've got a couple other guys, Kareen Reed, um, who was a former walk-on um, and is, I think if he's not, he will be placed on scholarship soon. Uh, this kid is, is an absolute, um, diamond in the rough. Uh, he he uh, just returned from his mission. He's got an older brother that played at Stanford, Gabe Reed. Um, the kid is he he was you know the talk of the fan base back in spring after the spring game. Kid was just you know making plays in the backfield. I think he's going to figure into this. And then you've got other guys, Hayden Fury, uh, another walk on turned scholarship type player that kind of fits. The identity that Swan wants. Got Andrew Mataf, who now is, you know, in year what four, four in the program, year three or four in the program. 
Um, you know, and then you've got the young guys in Trey Reynolds and Mason Tufunga and Lolani Longi as well. So a lot of depth at the position, but that's kind of how I see it um, with that group. So you've got, you know, two, two guys really kind of entrenched in those starting jobs. You've got two guys that, that appear to be, you know, the, the guys for the backup spots, but you've got a ton of depth there for sure. Yeah. Uh, who's going to play alongside Clark Phillips at the cornerback spot? And I tell you, so I think, I think JT Broughton is kind of a, a guy that we all just kind of take for granted. There's a lot of people that maybe consider him, you know, the, I think he was the number one cornerback for a reason last year. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that could potentially take a big step forward um, as, as a cornerback for Utah this season. So you've got JT Broughton. He's going to be on the other side, the opposite side of Clark Phillips. And then you've got Malone Mataele, uh, who's really taken a good step forward over the last couple of years at nickel. So you've got those three in the secondary, um, the battle behind, you know, for the backup spots behind them is going to be fun. You've got Fabian Marks, um, Zim, uh, Zimaya, uh, Vaughn, Kane Savage has moved back to corner, you know, after, after a spring camp at wide receiver. So a lot of young depth there as well, but that's uh, uh, you've got some good potential for sure. And then, as we've mentioned in previous shows, no Nate Ritchie this year. He's serving his LDS mission after having a a pretty stellar uh, freshman campaign, albeit in the midst of a pandemic that uh, ruffled the schedule, to say the least. So so who are you you picking to to play the safety spots, Steve? Yeah, so I think that there are three guys, three names to really kind of pay attention to. It's 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 Cole Bishop, it's Kamoi Latu, and it's Brandon McKinney. Those are kind of the three guys that are going to battle it out for that strong safety starting job. Um, and I've been I've been a strong proponent for Kamoi Latu. He's got a year in the program, um, but man, Cole Bishop has done a phenomenal job. He's an early enrollee. He's really picked up the defense. Uh, and you know he's got a chance to be you know another Nate Ritchie, a true freshman that earns the starting job at Utah, um, and and I don't necessarily think that that's that's a bad thing. The kid is talented. The kid's good. Um, and so you know you kind of looking at those three, but man, if I like I said, I've I've been a strong proponent for Kamoi Latu, but I might be trending towards Cole Bishop earning that job. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's exciting. So I think the. The premise of this episode, as we kind of rattle off where where to keep an eye on for Utah fans throughout fall camp, is obviously the quarterback battle is going to play, um, or, or, or the quarterback battle is going to make most of the headlines. Uh, but the running yeah. back group is 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 certainly a, a hotly contested position to keep an eye on, um, and then and then linebackers and and safety, but really line, uh, linebacker, I guess maybe not nearly as much as I first thought based on your comments regarding Nephi. So he, he seems to be uh, yeah. solidified next to Devin Lloyd, but the safety spot is a, is a position that, that Utah will look to uh, look to find a, a playmaker at. And so full camp will likely provide that for Morgan Scali and the defensive coaches. So, so, so there's three position groups right there. When you look at this team, which is good because you, you never really want to go into a season with, with no position battles necessarily. Right. Competition is very healthy and quarterback. And, and again, you don't want to have a quarterback battle necessarily because it's one position you, you want to be solidified in, but Utah's not. And so they've got a quarterback battle, the running back group, 
and uh, and the safety position are the are the three uh, the three positions to to keep your eyes close on and you know as 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 is the case in 2021 it seems like you know we, we may not get answers um until Weber state but we'll certainly hear rumblings um and we'll we'll try and 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 digest all of it as best as we can and make the most of it and try and give our, our listeners um, the best information um, and educate them as best as possible. So it's exciting, Steve. It's exciting. Pardon me, as uh, as my cubby's uh, hamburger uh, creeps its way up my throat. Uh, I'm excited for it, dude. I, I just I look. I think this time of year is cool, uh, and I think given Utah's position, where they're at, and the potential that they have. It's it's fun and uh, and Utah yeah. fans ought to be excited. And you consider what we went through last year um, with no fans being allowed in the stands and not knowing if games were even going to go ahead. You know, it seems like this year we're not going to have that issue. Uh, the schedule is set. Fans are back in the stadium, and uh, I, I I am just so excited to see what sort of noise can be generated in Rice Eccles Stadium with the addition of that South End Zone and of course the return to some extent of of college football. It's it's going to be fun, especially. I, I think what what else, what also adds to it, Steve, is like the uncertainty surrounding the game as of late with the conference realignment, the name, image, likeness stuff. There's a lot of change that's occurring within the college football landscape, and and I put a poll out on my own Twitter feed um, earlier this week, just trying to get a gauge as to where the fans feel, where they sit, and a lot of them are kind of unsure about the trajectory and the projection of of the game. Um, but hopefully, this season can bring back uh, some sort of reassurance that, that college football is going to be okay. And despite right. the realignment and the SEC trying to monopolize the market, it's, it's, it's not all lost. Um, and it's an exciting time to be a fan of college football and a fan of the university of Utah. This may be the year, Steve, I've been in this, I've been in this beautiful state now, nine years, I want to say nearly hey. t- 10 years will be next year. And uh, awesome. And I was thinking about this the other day. I haven't seen like, and, and I'm talking about like the Utah Jazz, BYU, and Utah football, like the three big fish in the market. I've never seen like a championship. I, I, right. I, I haven't seen a Pac-12 championship. BYU haven't won anything significant. The Jazz have been good most years, but they haven't gotten over the line and won an NBA championship with their current roster and management. And so, and so I'm thinking like it's due, dude. Like I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, it's it's, it's got to be coming, right? I mean, we can't not have a championship forever. Like there is going to be a day when one of the big three programs in Utah secures some silverware. And part of me, and I'm normally not this optimistic. I'm no, I normally like, I'm more of a pessimist. I'll be honest. But but yeah. But part of me is thinking like maybe this is. Maybe 2021 is going to be the year, Steve. Yeah, man, it's it's uh it's been it's been pretty wild, right? Like 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 you said, like you you came to Utah 9 years ago. I, I was on my mission um when uh when RSL won their championship and like that's the only championship that you know really you know we can we can really claim like yeah, like BYU can claim nine, but they that wasn't necessarily like a, a national title like we all know what that was um but i think you know utah football they've been trending the right way over the last half a decade really like obviously taking that leap from bad to good is one thing and i think they did that during your time there tom but yeah. taking that leap you know those those next steps as a program going from good 
you know, to, to really good, to great, to championship. Like that's, that's kind of where we're at with Utah right now. And, and um, you know, I think a lot of things really line up well for this Utah team. Um, This is, you know, when you look through the roster one through 85, I think it's the most complete, the most talented, the, the deepest that they've been, um, you know, in their time, you know, in the Pac-12, and and that's really, really exciting. So, um, man, I'm right there with you, dude. Like, I look at this team, and, and I, I just can't feel help but feel confident, you know, in this team challenging, contending for a Pac-12 championship this season. Um, and so it's – I don't know, like, how it's all going to unfold. Like, Utah's going to have some some tough games, obviously. Um, there There's going to be some nail-biters. But this team, you know, I, I'm excited to see them compete. And and the thing about it too is like we 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 feel so confident about this team, right? Like if we're talking about this team contending for a championship, there's a lot of confidence in it. But there's still a lot of mystery to it as well. And that's kind yeah. of the the fun thing to it is like you know, 2019 we knew what Tyler Huntley was, we knew what Zach Moss was, you know, we knew who they had at receiver, who they had on defense. Like we knew what that team was. This team, like it, it's, it's exciting. It's intriguing, but it's still a mystery. And, and that's, it adds a, a, another layer of, of just excitement and intrigue to the season that we didn't have, you know, in 2018 and 2019. Yeah. I haven't even mentioned that uh, the program got themselves a new punter. Uh, Cole Peasley yeah. is his name. Uh, he hails from the same facility that I was uh, developed in, uh, in the same lab, and uh, he can hit a big ball. So hopefully he can find his straps. He got in town, uh, it was about a week ago, just over a week ago. I'm yet to catch up with him. I was hoping to do so, but the golf course came calling. So, Cole, if you listen to this, I apologize, my man. And now you're in camp, and I might not be able to see you for a little bit, but. Uh, we're talking to each other and we're hanging out. Uh, we're hanging out via vicariously through social media, I guess. But um, hopefully he can provide something too. The kicking position seems to be st- uh, set with um, with what's his face, Redding, uh, mm-hmm. and then and then they've got a really good backup, like a really good backup, like a backup that, in my opinion, should have probably transferred last this past off season and gone to a school that he can kick at because he's really good. Uh, his name's Jordan Noyes, and the long oh, snap yeah. Keegan Margraf is um is is back. So like they're they're, they're they're looking good. They're looking, but there is that sense of mystery, and I just I, I can't wait. Like, and this is what I want to want to like emphasize for Utah fans throughout the non conference. Like they should wallop on on Weber, but there may be yeah. some kinks they need to sort out. They should beat BYU, and they should beat San Diego State, and that's fine. There's probably not going to be a ton of adversity. You know, and and the expectations only going to grow with the more wins that they secure. Uh, but let's just taper. Let's just taper the expectation until we see them respond from a from an adversity. Um, sure. When adversity hits, I want to see what what they're capable of because that's when you learn most about not just college football teams, but any professional team or athlete. It's it's when they're faced with adversity. How do they respond? You know, what what's their immediate right. response? Is it is it attack? Is it, is it to kind of wilter and go into a shell and just see if they can hang on? Uh, and if, if they can attack adversity and really face it uh, front on uh, and with vigor, then, boy, I, I, I surely believe. And I reckon adversity will come 
pretty early in that Pac-12 schedule, Steve. It may be even against Washington State. Only time will tell. But if it's not Washington State, you better believe it's going to be in, in either USC uh, or, or Arizona State or both. The likelihood of it being right. both is very high as well. So, um, man, I can't wait. I just can't wait to yeah. see what happens. Uh, I'm excited for, obviously, the game against Weber State. I'm excited for BYU. I'm excited for San Diego State. But I'm really excited for that Pac-12 slate to kick in and to see how the team responds there. So, um, man, it's exciting. We'll have uh, more updates uh, throughout for camp. Uh, As camp progresses, we'll have more updates. We'll be on the phone trying to figure out what's all going on up there. Uh, And we'll update you as best as we can. Um, So please don't don't think that we won't do that. That's That's our job. It's why we do the show. That's what we're here for. Steve, you can check him out on Twitter at sbartle247. Please go to utone.com as well. They have a seven-day free trial if you've never signed up or just create a new email and sign up again for a seven-day free trial and uh, and operate that way as well. But Steve needs to be paid. Remember that, guys. So uh, <laughs> a few dollars to utone uh, goes into the pocket and keeps Steve's lights on. So no pressure. Um, or you can check out caresofsports.com where I put some of my work. My colleagues put a ton of stuff out as well. And I'm at Tom Can't Attack at Nate Wade. Subaru is our sponsor. If you have, if you have a, a Subaru that you're driving, it's an older model, just call them. Just give them a call. That's all you need to do and see what sort of deals they have. I think you'd be surprised. 1207 South Main Street's where where they're located. Um, and they're looking, to, they're looking to buy your used car and they'll put you into a newer model for the same price you're currently paying or even cheaper. It's, ri- it's ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's really quite a cool little deal that they've got going on. So our friends at Nayway Subaru, we love and appreciate them. Steve, as always, my friend, hopefully I see you later this evening. Yes, if, sir. Uh, the smoke keeps, keeps, keeps us in. Um, but if not, we'll speak next week and, um, and we'll talk more Utah football. See you guys. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.